but uh, I think it's a bit weird anyway, so I'm not really that bothered, to be honest. But he was originally going to um, record a whole preach and just press play. So you could have gone home early by the looks of it. So, um, so I'll introduce myself then. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm from City Hope Church. So uh, there's a number of people here who moved from that church to plant this church. Um, I've been going there ever since uh, it, it, I was born, I guess, um, and I really like it. Um, I don't work for the church full-time. I work in a bank. Uh, I work in IT. Yay! Yes. And, uh, just, yeah, the credit crunch, nothing to do with me. If you were protesting this week, it, it wasn't my fault. Yeah, I'm just an IT guy. So at my church, my roles are, um, well, I preach sort of every couple of months. I, I, I have a go. I've been doing it for a few years. And I also do um, a bit like what Andy Kite does, oversee the worship teams, the worship in the church and um, lead worship myself every now and again. Andy inspires me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, joking, obviously, yeah. Is this being recorded? Yeah. So I can't say things about Steph? No. Okay. No. Okay, um, hobbies. Hobbies, yeah, I have lots of them. Um, that's enough about me, really. I've got some slides, hopefully they'll appear. The first one is the title of what I've been asked to speak on. It's quite short, so I'll tell it to you anyway. It's, um, Steph asked me to speak on agape the word agape, which is a type of love in the New Testament. And essentially, when we read the Bible, obviously it's very big, it's got lots of different books, lots of different verses, chapters, and sometimes I think it's incredible that not one word in here is carelessly put in here, or they weren't lazy and just thought, oh, that will do it as a description of God. Every single word in here is carefully chosen, it's, it's, it's of God, and it's of extreme significance. And not only that, I look at the Bible as God's um, like marketing plan, if you like. It's how he explains exactly who he is, uh, what he thinks, um, how he feels about different things, um, his hobbies. If you want to know about God, you read this, because this is where he explains himself in a more sort of complete way than in any other place. So when we look at a word in here, as, as God says, this is what I'm like, it's of extreme significance, because he's trying to tell us, this is, this is who I am, this is how I feel, this is how I feel about you. So we're just going to look at one word today, and that word is agape. I've got three points. Um, the first one is that God loves you, which is quite a simple, straightforward one. Um, the second one is he doesn't just love you, he loves everyone else around you. And the third one is something I felt that God put prophetically on my heart as soon as I started praying, that um, he, he wants your love back. Um, and my aim really is just to come here to bless you, to serve you, say something that's going to encourage you, challenge you, and um, yeah, have a laugh with you guys. So I'll pray and then get started. Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit, Lord God. I thank you that you can beat us, and build us up, and feed us, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord God, your spirit will just come upon me, anoint the words I'm saying, Lord God, that you would just bless them to people's hearts, Lord God. I really pray that you, um, people would go home feeling encouraged, Lord God, by what you say to them, Lord God. You'd just give them a soft heart to receive, Lord God, and you'd speak into them, you'd build them, and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this word agape, let's try and understand a bit more about what it means. So it's a New Testament word, um, a Greek word meaning love, and it's a certain type of love. So the New Testament was written largely in Greek, and there were three words for love that they used. There were five in the Greek language, but just three in the Bible. So to go through those three different types of words. The first one was eros, which is like your romantic love. It's the love between sort of a man and a woman. Um, it covers the, sort of the physical side of things as well. Um, the second one is um, phileo. I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but I'm going to say it confidently, and you're going to assume that that's right. 
Um, that's more like your type of friendship love. It's more about companionship. So to explain the distinction, if Dean says to Donna, I'm sure he does every night, I love you, Donna. Yeah? <laughs> when he says to me, I love you, Matthew, this morning, it's really nice to see you, hopefully he means something different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been calling me a lot recently, but hopefully... Hopefully they're different things. Yeah, you understand. One's more, one's a sort of romantic love, one's more about friendship. And then the other one is agape love. Um, I've not got a definition. I've got a sort of a set of words to help build the context of what it actually means. So, for example, um, C.S. Lewis describes it as charity love. So it's love based on compassion. Uh, it's unconditional. Um, it's not based on... Um, or it's completely indiscriminate. It's not, it's not based on anything that anyone's done. It's not earned. It's just given. Uh, it's almost a decision rather than a feeling, so I'm going to decide to love. Um, it's completely self-sacrificing, so it's not about my needs, it's not about what I want, it's something that um, is just given indiscriminately at the sacrifice of the one who's given it. Now this word is the, the primary word to use in the New Testament to describe God's love, this agape love. So it's saying that his love is unconditional, it's completely self-sacrificing, uh, it's completely indiscriminate, it's not based on how you do, it's not based on what on your behaviours, or even how you feel about him. He has just decided to love you in this way. And also what's important is that in, in the Greek language, it was quite an obscure word. It wasn't particularly common. Um, nobody really used it, and it only existed as a verb. But the New Testament writers felt it was appropriate to, to use this word to describe how God's love is in relation to us, and they turned it into a noun, which is a sense they, they decided to give. Rather than it being a type of way of loving person, it's the way that God actually loves us. Okay, so on to the first point, which is, he loves you. So as Christians, it's important for us to understand that as part of God's very nature, um, he is loving, this is just who, who he is. It's one of his characteristics. He is loving and he loves us. And God will always, eternally always, look to, to give his agape love to us. So he will always be looking to bless us, give of himself to us so that we can be joyful. So we see this first examples in the Trinity, Okay, so before there was the world, before there was the time, before there was anything, we find God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, loving each other. And obviously, it's not sort of physical, it's not romantic, but each would give to the other to bless, to make the other happy. It's hard for us to picture because we don't really know what they were doing because it was just them three and, and nothing else. They didn't give each other flowers or anything like that because they didn't exist. They just somehow loved each other and made each other extremely happy. So John 17, 24 says, You loved me before the creation of the world. And that's where Jesus is praying and he's talking to the Father. He's saying, You loved me before the creation of the world. And he's very aware that how much God loved him. Uh, in John 14, 31, he said, um, But the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly as my Father has commanded me. So he's saying um, how much the Father loves him, how he, he loves the Father. We can see that they just loved each other. It's just part of who he was. Before there was anything... God just loved himself, which is slightly strange, I know. But he just is loving. And we can also see that love expressed into how he relates to us. So, for example, Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I know it's a famous verse, and we sort of read it, and you forget the power of it, but it's incredible that while we were, while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we showed no interest in him at all, he decided that he was going to give us his unconditional love, that he was going to come and rescue us. We see this characteristic of God, his loving nature, just worked out in, in what he does. If we could see the, the, the second slide. I haven't got many. 
This is one of my favourite verses about love in the Bible, and I tried to write a song about it, but um, it didn't really work. <laughs> Let's be, be honest, I'll give myself a review. So, um, I'll I read it to you. I'll read it from here. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy as unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. It's taken from Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 6 to 7. And for me, um, I like imagery, um, I like reading, I don't, well, I'm not a big poetry fan necessarily, but I like the imagery and I like thinking about the images in the Bible. This is why I like this verse so much. So the first thing to say, um, love is as strong as death, it's jealousy as unyielding as the grave. It's quite, um, it's quite a dark image because it's talking about love and death together, which is not, you wouldn't traditionally put them there. But um, jealousy as unyielding as the grave. Unyielding is like, um, is when you don't want to give something back. So I was watching the kids play, argue over the football today. One of them wanted the football, the other one didn't give them back. So they're not yielding it to each other, they're not giving. And it's saying... Um, uh, essentially, I've got this thing and you're not going to take it off me. And when we talk about as unyielding as the grave, generally when people die and they're buried, you know, once you're in the coffin, nobody gets back up, do they? Once you're in, you're in. Once you're dead, you're dead. Obviously, we believe that God raises people from the dead, but generally, once you're in a coffin, you're not getting back out. Am I right? Yeah. So, so what it's saying is like, once death has got you, you can't get out of it. You're dead and that's it. You remain dead. You can't be... It's all of a sudden come alive, and death won't let you s- sort of slip out of its claws. You're, you're in its grasp, and you always will be. It, it won't yield you back. It won't let you out. And it's saying God's love is exactly the same as that. It's the same power. Once you're in his love, he's never going to um, let you slip away. He won't unyield you. He won't just let you slip through his fingers. He's like, you're so tight in his grasp. In his grasp, that's that's it. He's going to love you. He always will decide you. It's his agape love. He's decided to love you, and he always will. And he will never slip through that love. And it's interesting to say that love is as strong as death. When we think about um, the strength of love and death, almost we think about Jesus. Almost it's a sort of a prophetic image of what was to come. The second thing, it burns like a blazing flame, like a mighty flame. In the Bible, it says God is like a red god, almost like his heart is actually on fire. We have to understand that for us, his, his heart, it does blaze for us. He's almost on fire for us. He, he burns to spend time with us. Something about his heart just yearns for us. He's so filled with passion for us. Like we wouldn't believe or we won't really be able to imagine or see till we actually meet him, understand how, how, how strong his desire for us is. And when it talks about um, many waters cannot wash it away, I tend to think of this sort of this huge flame and people trying to th- so, throw buckets on it and that doesn't... Uh, that doesn't work, and they talk about bringing rivers to try and put this fire out. Um, it's just impossible to put the flame of God's heart out. He's decided that he is going to love you. He will always love you, and nothing is ever going ever gonna to prevent that from happening. And I tend to think in this, in this image as the sort of the waters as being like our sin or the wrong things we, that we do, um, we, we tend to think, oh, look what I've done. God won't love me, or I've failed in, him in this way, I've failed him in that way. But it's like all those, even all that negativity, it's just not enough to stop God from loving us. He's, he almost consumes everything that's wrong about us through the cross so that he can reach to us. And the last bit, if we were to give all the wealth of our house for love, it would be utterly scorned, as in no matter what you could give up to receive the love of God, it would never be anything like that, the right price. So C.S. Lewis says, oh, sorry, Wayne Grudem says, sorry, in the next slide. 
it should cause us great joy to know that it's the purpose of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to give themselves in order to bring us true joy and happiness. It is in God's nature to act that way towards those upon whom he has set his love, and he will continue to act that way for all eternity. So it's the, it's the purpose of God he's decided, it's fixed in his mind, um, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit will be giving themselves to you in order to bring you joy for the whole of eternity, because that is just who God is, that is just what he's like, he's so full of love. And it's fantastic to think, already in my life God's done so much for me, he's taken away all my sins, he's blessed me every time, he's heard so many of my prayers, but to think about for all eternity, in a perfect world, God's going to be giving himself to me, to bless me, is a phenomenal, it's just a phenomenal thought. It's so good to know that God actually loves us, and that love is just, it's unconditional, it's indiscriminate. He's decided to love us, and therefore he always will. So how can, we, how can we apply this to our lives? Well, C.S. Lewis breaks it down even further, and he mentions two types of love. The first is gift love, and the second is need love. Gift love is, um, he describes as, like a man who saves and works and plans um, for a future that he's never going to see. So he puts money aside for his family so that when he died, they're still comfortable. It's, it's a gift. It's a gift to them. Um, need love is like, like a glass of water. You know, when you're thirsty, uh, a glass of water is nice. But the more thirsty you are, the nicer the glass of water is. But if you're not particularly thirsty, it's not particularly significant. I hope that's clear. The, the love that God gives us is always that gift love. He's completely independent of us. He doesn't need us or rely on us for anything. But he chooses to give us love. He chooses to bless us. And the love that almost that we, we give to him is always, it's always as, as a response. It's always um, drawn from a need. We were made to be dependent on him. And if we try and live outside of him or be independent or away from him, life just never works. I just, and I just feel like um, sometimes we try and earn God's favour or we think... Um, if I live this way, God will, God will be pleased with me. And, uh, look, I must be a spiritual person. He must be pleased. I've been reading my Bible. I've been going to church. I've been praying. Look at the things I've been doing. Look how proud God must be of us. But in the way that we're just putting a, a weight on our shoulders that we're trying to please him. But this gift love is, we have to understand, it just doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we behave. It doesn't matter about our past. He's just set his eyes. He's fixed his mind on loving you. And that can just give us great release because we think, Whatever I do, God loves me. And obviously that doesn't give us liberty to go and sin, but hopefully it inspires us to think, actually, I want to please you. Actually, God, I, I want to I seek to live a life that blesses you. Okay, so the, I don't know if there's anyone who, here who's not a Christian, but I sort, of mention it. I sort of mention it now. I just want to say to you that God loves you. He loves you from his heart, and he always has. He's always known you. He created you, looked forward to you being born, and he, he wants to bless you. And I, I'll say it now because I know we have a time of response at the end, and I'm not going to ask anyone to put their hands up, but I'll just get in now. I just think God may, be, God may be speaking to you. Just take the time while I just continue preaching to think, what does that mean for me? Does he really love me? How interested is he? And I'll just say, he does, he do, he does love you. And we'll be here. Um, you can chat to me sort of at any point if you, if you like. But I just really want to... Um, let you know, we'll give you a time to respond later. Um, they'll probably mention it again. But he does love you. I know the first question people always say is, oh, if God loves me, you know, why do so many bad things happen? All I'd say to that is, it's, it's a huge subject. Um, I can't cover it all, all now. But in summary, bad things happen because bad people um, do bad things. Um, it's, never, it's never God's fault. If you want to know more, just chat to me. Okay, so second point, moving on, is he doesn't just love you. 
So it's good for us to know that God loves us. Hopefully that encourages us. But he also loves the person sitting next to you. Can you believe it? Um, He also loves your parents, your family, whoever. Um, And that should have an implication on the way that we live um, for two ways. The first is that um, if if you know um, that he loves the person next to you, when, when you're rude to them or when you sort of slander them or when you ignore them, you're, you're being rude to someone that God loves, so therefore it hurts them. So how you treat other people is affected by the fact that you know God loves others. And also Ephesians 5.1 says that we should be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So it's a huge challenge that we're to imitate this agape love of God that he's given us unconditionally, um, without any... Any restraint, he's just showered us from love. He wants us um, to imitate that to the world around us. And I want to apply it in two ways, really. The first is in the church, and the second is outside of the church, if you like, or the lost. So the church. Um, we talked earlier briefly about, um, about the Trinity, the way God loved the, the Trinity, the way he's expressed his own life for us in the deeds that Jesus has done. And the challenge for us now is, actually, God says, you need to go and imitate that. So those same deeds that I've been doing, you need to imitate them in the church. So you need to love um, people in the church unconditionally. So that means it doesn't matter um, what they look like, um, doesn't matter what they smell like, doesn't matter about their beliefs, um, doesn't matter about their background. Essentially, we should be loving everybody who comes through that doors, who, those doors without any, any restraint or any condition because God loves them. And we're to imitate the love that he's given us that was purely sacrificial. Um, his love is also unselfish. So it's not about your needs, it's not about, oh, I've got all these things going on and I don't have time. But we have to give of ourselves to other people. It's self-sacrificing. And this love doesn't exist in the world. Um, and when, when you um, make a comparison between the way the world lives and the way the church should live, the, the, the gap is huge. We know that the world's, especially even now, is really self-centred. Um, it's all about me, 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 grab, 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 what can I get? Whereas the church is completely opposite. It's all about not, it's not about me, it's about you, you, you. It's about how can I give to you, how can I bless you, how can I serve you. It's a complete contradiction. So again, I just want to look at some, some verses. Um, I think these are on the slides as well. The next one should be Romans 14, yeah. Again, another one of my favourite verses. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Three words to just pick up. The first is every effort. So it's not just, um, I'm going to make some effort, I'm going to try sometimes, but if I'm a bit tired, I'm not going to bother. It's like, I'm going to make every single effort. At all times, I have the opportunity, I'm going to, I'm going to try. Um, make every effort to, lead, to do what leads to peace. So um, not doing things that lead to rifts or dissension or falling out. So um, I'm not going to slander people. I'm not going to slag people off behind their back. I'm not going to flirt with people that I don't intend to go out with. I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause a rift between the church. But further on than that, it says I'm going to make every effort to edify. To edify means to build up, to bless. So what it's saying is when God's saying, imitate my love, I'm going to make every effort to, to look to be a blessing to anyone in this church. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give my prayers. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to look to be a blessing. Any church that we ever walk in, we should, we should look, how can I bless these people? Not arrogantly, as in, look at all my skill. How can I, how can I be a blessing? But I want to serve these people. I want to be a person who, who builds other people up around them, where other people are encouraged and strengthened. Because we get enough sort of knocks in the world already. We don't need it in church. We need to make sure that we're, we're always looking to build people up. The second verse is um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 to 15. 
It's up there. It says, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong with wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and everyone else. Be joyful always. So again, it mentions peace. It talks about warning the idle. Um, and then I would just say, um, yeah, it's good to warn people who are lazy, and that's in particular context of that church. But we can just say, it's good to speak the truth to people. It's good to be people who, who pull people up on sin and not just let people um, get away with things. I think I always appreciate having that. Well, not all the time, if I'm honest. But it's good sometimes to have that challenge and say, actually, you're doing this wrong. Um, you, you need to stop it. It's, one way, it's a way of encouraging people. And it lists, encourage the timid, help the weak. Um, I, sometimes, I guess we want to build up a picture of someone who sits in the corner and is weak. But I think we all, all have weaknesses. Uh, and we all have weaknesses at specific times in our lives. So perhaps someone got injured. Like Dean had a tragic, tragic accident recently. And he needed lots of, lots of help because he was weak. Um, and we all need help in different ways. Perhaps we're just really in a busy, busy time, a stressful time. We need prayer, we need support, we're going through things. We should be thinking, how can I help other people? Not just with a view of what can I get out of church and what's God speaking to me about and why is no one praying for me? But it's almost flipping that on up and say, what can I do for other people? How can I be a blessing? And if we follow these guidelines, if we follow this through, we'll see something um, completely different. And it's described in Acts 2, 44 to 47. I'll read it to you, it's not on the slide. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Essentially, what we see here is outworked and outworking of the principles I talked about before when the people actually, they were for each other. They wanted to build each other. They wanted to bless each other. And they weren't selfish. And God's called us to be exactly the same, to imitate his same agape love within the church. And I think it's a huge challenge because sometimes um, you feel tired, sometimes you feel drained. And some people um, can irritate you just because of the way your character is and the way their character is. But the Bible says we should be just patient with everyone. We should be kind to everyone always. So how can we do this? Just really quickly. Well, um, I think encouraging others is, is something that's really underrated. Someone pulled me up on it really sharply uh, recently, a, a girl at work. She said, um, I always say that everything is rubbish. Um, and it, it was kind of true. You know, when you talk about musicians that you don't like, I just say, oh, they're rubbish. Or film, oh, that was rubbish. And she said, you say everything is rubbish. And it made me think about, oh, yeah. It's such a horrible thing to say as well because it's not, it's not constructive in any way. It's not saying, oh, it's not that good. But it's just a dead-end statement. It really made me think, actually, I want to be someone who is encouraging. So I've got this new rule well, I'm only allowed to say one sort of constructive criticism if I say three good things first, which is, yeah. Because those of you who know me, uh, I do like to speak my mind and say how, how I feel, which is a good thing. It's good to be honest, but uh, it's good to be encouraging because it just, when people encourage me, it just really builds me up. It's nice to know that people are on your side. And it's such an easy thing to do to go and say to somebody, oh, you did that well, or I think, um, I was going to say, you look nice today, but sometimes that might be inappropriate, depending on... <laughs> depended on the situation but yeah just we should always be looking to encourage each other not to put people down not to laugh at people um edify each other through our gifts we've all been given gifts in the church 
they're completely different. Some of them may overlap, but you've been given something that you can use to bless other people. And we don't want to be people who are sitting at the back saying, what, what can I get? What can I get? We should be looking to use these gifts that he's given us with its technical skills, um, with its preaching, with its worship, with its encouraging, with its cooking, with its all of them. And we should be looking to use them to bless people, not having that selfish perspective. And the second way I wanted to apply it was in the, with, with, with the lost. Christ said that he wanted all men to be saved. And he also said that he was sending you to go and save them. Yeah, he's not going to just sort of show up one day and save everybody. He sent us into the world. And for us to understand that God loves us, it means that we have to understand that he loves the lost with the same passion, the same heart. And it, it just hurts him so much that so many people constantly ignoring him, um, disobeying him, rejecting him and everything that he has to offer. And he sent us to go in and save these people. So he's put us in specific families to reach them. He's put us in specific jobs, schools, wherever your environment, the people around you that he wants you to reach. And I often find that the thing that stops us, um, the biggest barrier, and, and for me, is, is fear. That I just don't, we just get scared of telling people about Jesus. But fear is sort of a nice way of putting it. I think pride is a better way of putting it. Because ultimately what you're scared of, we're scared of being embarrassed, or we're scared of being laughed at, um, or scared of not being respectable, um, not being treated with respect. And that ultimately is pride, that we're not willing to sort of overcome ourselves in order to reach people for the gospel. Um, and I just really want to put a challenge. I think it's always good to challenge this because um, I know for myself, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I'm really good at telling people about Jesus. I'm really, I'm really stepping out of my comfort zone and then I sort of get complacent and I sort of fall back in it and then I need to be re-challenged. And I'd just like to challenge you to you guys today, you know, where, where, where are you with the, with the lost? Who, who around you doesn't know you're a Christian? There are lots of them. If, people, if I was to walk into your office or your school place, would people know you're a Christian? Um, would they know what you believe, what you stand for, or would they not? And is it just that your pride is hindering you from actually giving these people the news that they really need and deserve? God loves these people and he sent you to reach them and I just want to put that challenge in you should be making sure you are. And the, the, third, the third point that I wanted to bring, which I felt God speak to me about, um, was that he wants to be loved. So I've already said that um, God doesn't need us for anything. He's completely independent of us. He's not reliant on us. But he's, he's made us to be in relationship with him. Uh, he loves us and he wants something back from us. He wants our hearts. And I just felt that um, somewhere along the line, some of you... You guys might have been forgetting this. Um, actually, it's, it's your heart he wants. He, he wants your love about all else. Um, and I didn't think it was because of any like particular horrible sin that you'd gone off into or anything like that. I just felt like in the busyness of it all that you'd sort of lost sight of it, especially in the busyness of church. Um, I know, especially in a small church, people do lots and lots of things. They give lots and lots of time. But actually you can give yourself so much time into doing things that you don't actually spend time with the one that you're supposedly doing them for. And I just felt God wanted to say he, he wants your heart. He just doesn't, doesn't just want your deeds. He doesn't just want your, your actions. He wants your love. He wants to hear you say that you love him and you care for him. And I just I felt that um, do, doing these tasks, uh, doing lots for God, because you'd sort of lost the heart, almost the point of it, some things have become slightly heavy, slightly like a burden, and almost you, you can, if you follow that down, start to despise the roles that you're given. But I felt God said that he wants to rekindle in you that, that heart 
from years before, perhaps when you were first saved or when times, times were good, and that, to remind you actually why you were doing these things. You weren't just doing them because you're planting a church and therefore you have to do all this stuff and it's crazy and crazy manic. You're doing it to build the kingdom of God. You're doing it because he loves you. You're doing it because you love him. And I, just, I don't know if there's anyone who um, feels that sort of rings a bell with them, but I'm happy to pray with anyone. Um, so to sort, sort of wrap up, I know um, Dave's going to come and do the communion now. Um, but just to say, um, agape love, it's God's unconditional love to you. And I really want to encourage you and say, um, no matter how, how you behave, no matter what you've done, he loves you unconditionally. And it's a decision, it's not just a feeling. Um, he's... He's decided that for all time, he's just going to bless you, he's going to be behind you, he's going to support you, and he's going to build you up. Um, I haven't got anything sort of particular to respond to, but Dave, if you want to yeah. come up now. Uh, yeah, we just have a time of praise, so if you feel like any of those things spoke to you, just um, sort of deal with it yourself. But yeah, I'm happy to pray for anyone who, sort of, who, who would like prayer. So, over to you, Dave.